We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold well as expected earlier today the federal reserve open market committee announced that interest rates were going to stay the same at five and a quarter to five and a half. Now, pretty much everybody expected that. One of the things that the Fed did that I think people expected was to officially kind of announce that the rate hikes are over because from the prepared statement, they removed the language uh, with respect to a bias towards tightening. Now, pretty much everybody assumed that the rate hikes are over anyway. But I mean, this was kind of an official confirmation that uh, there's no more hikes coming. But everybody is already one step ahead and they're anticipating maybe half a dozen rate cuts. Many people thought that the first rate cut would happen as early as March. Well, one thing that the markets didn't expect and in fact were caught completely off guard is in the Q&A period, Uh, in response to a question about the March uh, rate cut, Powell basically rained all over that parade and said it's not their base case, that it's not a likely scenario that rates are going to be cut in March. And the minute, or the second rather, that those words passed the Fed chairman's lips, everything tanked. Stocks went down, gold went down, although gold was actually up about maybe $12, $13 an ounce uh, when, when Powell said that. And so gold went negative, although it didn't you know, go uh, sharply negative. In fact, it closed unchanged, uh, maybe up a couple of bucks, which was one of the strongest um, uh, things in the market today. But uh, you know, stocks tanked, you know, Bitcoin sold off. I mean, kind of everything went down. Now, stocks were already on the defensive before Powell spoke. The Dow was the only index that was positive. You had the S&P and the the Nasdaq were down. You had some of the heavy hitting tech stocks that uh, had some not great earnings that came out. I think it was last night uh, after the bell. Uh, Alphabet in particular, the parent of of, uh, Google was down, I think, over 7% on the day. But pretty much all of the big tech stocks, Microsoft actually hit a new all-time high and closed negative on the day. You know, I never had really heard uh, this expression before, but I heard it a lot today. People were talking about these stocks, you know, that have been the high flyers, that have been dominating the gains in the uh, S&P 500. And they're calling them the Magnificent Seven, right? We always have these kind of, Words, you know, back in the 1960s, it was the Nifty 50. I remember the four horsemen of, of the NASDAQ uh, during the tech bubble. Uh, more recently, we had the FANG stocks. So they're always kind of coming up with some slick names to describe the stocks that are doing really well. Uh, and now I guess it's the Magnificent Seven. Uh, that's probably a, a reference to the Western movie, The Magnificent Seven. You know, the original uh, Western came out in 1960 because I know some of you might have seen the remake that came out a few years ago. But you know, even the original, the 1960 
was a remake of a, a 1950s Japanese movie, uh, The Seven Samurais. But I think if, if you own this portfolio, it's more kamikaze than samurai because you own some high-flying stocks. Uh, the Magnificent Seven are Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, uh, Meta, and, uh, and Tesla. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, these have been some powerful stocks. I mean, these companies obviously are not going bankrupt. They have very bright futures. But the problem is too many people are overinvested in too few names. And at some point, uh, you know, this is going to go kamikaze on, 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 the, on the people who own these portfolios. But anyway, the stocks were already down uh, before uh, Powell spoke, but then they got hit even harder. And there was another thing going on in the market that didn't really get anywhere near the publicity it should have. And of course, it didn't even get really discussed uh, during the press conference. And that is what's going on in the the banks you know the the regional banks got clobbered today the the index of regional banks i think was down was it six percent on the day uh seven percent i forget no just under six percent the uh, uh regional banking index and the the big decline what really got it going was um what was the bank um the is the bank that ended up buying all of these securities from Signature Bank when it failed back in March. And I've been talking about this. This is March of last year. And it's New York. I'm just blanking on the name of this of, of this bank. Um, but it was down like 38% on the day as a result of this news, I gotta, yeah, I should have, I should, I should have wrote it down. Yeah, I don't know what happened to it. Um, but the reason the, the the bank lost so much money is they had to come out and write down the value of all this debt, all these loans that they bought off a of signature bank. You know, they they had to take charges, they had to slash their dividend, they you know it. But th- this is the problem that is going on in, uh, in, in, the, in the banking sector. I've been talking about this. I've been warning about it. And the mainstream media has kind of been glossing over it. The financials are in a lot of trouble. In fact, I was even listening on CNBC, I think it was yesterday or earlier today, some woman was on there talking about how great the banks are and how you got to buy the banks, you have to buy the financials. You know, this is the kind of nonsense that I was hearing from these analysts uh, in 2007, you know, touting the financials, you know, you got to buy these stocks. And I knew that they were taking time bombs because I knew that all these banks were sitting on this toxic uh, mortgage debt. Uh, But the banks are actually in worse shape today. And what happened today is just a reminder of, of how bad it is. Uh, when you get this, you know, 36, 37% decline. But if the Fed um, follows through with ending this program in March, and if it doesn't deliver the rate cut, because one of the reasons that you would think that maybe the Fed was going to cut rates in March was to kind of counterbalance and throw the the banks a bone here because it's going to take away this uh, emergency uh, bailout program in theory, it's going to require banks to, to repay these loans. They might try to help prop up the value of their securities by starting the rate cuts in March. But now that, uh, you know, Powell has taken that uh, rate cut off, off the table, um, this is a huge problem for these banks. And this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, I think that it's possible that by taking the March rate cut off the table when, you know, the market's expected to be feasting on that cut. Now that it's been taken off the table, um, the markets might tank because the the markets might start pricing out not only the March rate cut, but they might start pricing out other rate cuts that they've already priced in. And then the bottom drops out of the market. And then Powell may be forced 
to actually serve up a rate cut in March to prop up the stock market. Now, it may depend on how much further the stock market falls between uh, now and, and, and March. But anyway, let me get into uh, what was going on at the, uh, at the press conference and with Powell's official statement, because he, he came right out and he talked about you know, how inflation is a big problem and how it's still too high and you know, it, it's doing a lot of damage and it's hurting most the people who can afford it the least, the people who you know, are barely getting by uh, because it's pushing up food prices, it, it's pushing up um, uh, you know, transportation costs and, and, and rents. And in fact, you know, at one point during the Q&A, Powell said that, you know, fighting inflation, that, that's the Fed's main job. I mean, he said that's what society uh, asked us to do. That's why we're here. We're all about fighting inflation and, and we're going to bring it down. Well, if that's the case, why did the Fed spend so many years trying to create inflation? Why didn't it just leave well enough alone? Powell kept saying that, well, you know, we don't have enough inflation. It's not quite 2%. It's one and a half. Uh, We can't have that. So we need to really print a lot of money. We need to keep interest rates at zero because we got to have higher inflation than 2%. Why? If it's as bad as he says it is, if it's causing all these problems, then why deliberately start that fire? Why even take a risk? Right? Why not like, okay, we're one and a half percent. It's not quite two, but it's okay. Right? I mean, we don't need to do something about this so-called problem. In fact, one of the craziest questions that Powell got during the Q&A, one of the reporters said, well, what are you going to do if you overshoot? Like, you know, aren't you worried about that? What happens if you end up with inflation below target? Like, oh, my God, you know, hopefully that won't happen. Now, what Powell said to answer that, he said, well, we're not aiming to have inflation below 2%. We don't want it to be anchored below 2%. We want 2%. That's our goal. We want to stick it right at 2%. And then he said, if we end up below 2%, well, then we're going to have to do something about that, (laughs) as if that's a problem. But think about the arrogance of Jerome Powell to think that he and his buddies at the Federal Reserve can micromanage the inflation rate to such a, you know, precise number that they can dial it down to 2% and it's going to stay there. Like not 2.1, not 1.9, but 2% on the button. I mean, there's no way they could do it, but of course, what, 2% based on what? Based on the CPI, based on the PCE, because none of these numbers mean anything anyway. I mean, none of them actually capture the true rate of inflation. So why even bother to so precisely target a number that really doesn't mean anything anyway? Because it's just conjured up by these phony uh, government numbers. But who says that these ridiculous numbers that the government conjured up are somehow the holy grail of economics? that the government just happened to figure out the precise methodology for calculating inflation, and that just happens to be the sweet spot of economic growth. Like, the, this whole thing was, uh, was, was, was concocted or micromanaged by a Politburo uh, of, of government officials. It is ridiculous. But also, again, what happened to inflation averaging? I mean, the Fed has never officially abandoned the policy that it adopted in 2000 to allow inflation to be above 2%, which again, if inflation is so bad a problem, why would they have even done that? But they've never undone that. Powell said that the Fed's goal is that inflation averages 2% over time. Now, he admitted today that it's a lot higher. In fact, he said inflation has been much higher than 2% for many years. And he said Americans have a right to be upset because 
everything costs a lot more than it did a, a few years ago. Okay, then how about some relief? Wouldn't it be good if inflation was less than 2%? No. Powell said, oh, if we get inflation below 2%, we're going to solve that problem, right? We're going to have to start pumping up the money supply again. We might have to go back to QE or cut rates because we're going to solve that problem. Instead of saying, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, why not aim to have inflation below 2%? In fact, if you still believe in inflation averaging, the only way inflation is ever going to average 2% over time is if we have several years where it's below 2%. See, why is it, you know, heads, you know, the Fed wins, tails, everybody loses. Why is it that when inflation is below 2% for a few years, the Fed has to run it hot? We have to have inflation above 2% to average the rate up. But if we have inflation way above uh, 2%, Uh, for a number of years, that we don't have to average that down. No, no, no. We have to forget about all that like it never even happened and just try to go right back to 2%. Anyway, I got a lot more to discuss about uh, the Powell Press Conference uh, after the break, so stick around. I'll be right back. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. All right, so during that commercial break, I was able to look up the name of the bank that I couldn't remember, New York Community Bank Corp. Uh, NYCB is the symbol, and it was down just under 38% on the day. And again, this is the tip of an iceberg when it comes to the problems in, in the banks. And again, you know, Powell is talking about how great the economy is. Uh, none of this really came up. Oh, by the way, too, before I get back to um, uh, Powell, I wanted to talk about some of the economic data that came out during the week so far that didn't get discussed at all uh, during today's uh, uh, press conference. One was the Dallas uh, Fed Manufacturing Survey, January, disaster of a number. In fact, they revised down the December number from minus 9.3 to minus 10.4, and the January number was minus 27.4. And the production index dropped from a downwardly revised plus 1.2 in December to minus 15.4 in January. This is a horrible number. Manufacturing is in a severe two-year recession. It's obvious. Even the government's own numbers confirm that. So how is it that Powell could talk for 45 minutes at a press conference about how great the economy is? We have a great economy, we have a strong economy, strongest economy in 50 years, whatever he's saying, yet manufacturing is in a recession. I mean, does he think manufacturing doesn't mean anything? It's insignificant to have this important sector of the economy in recession? And you're saying the economy is great, the economy is strong? This is just sheer nonsense. We also got the Chicago PMI came out. It was at 46 And remember, anything below 50 is contraction. And the the, the prior month was 46.9. It was supposed to improve to 48.1, which would have still been in contraction, just not as bad as December, but it was worse. It went down to 46, which was lower than the lowest estimate. The consensus range for the Chicago PMI was 47 to 49.4. Came out at 46. 
And also earlier today on jobs, you know, we get the, uh, the big number, the uh, non-farm number, uh, where we'll get to revise the, pr the prior month and then come out with a beat, right? That's the pattern. But that number comes out on Friday. I'm going to do another podcast uh, after we get that number, too. So there should be at least two this week because I'm definitely going to talk about uh, the, the jobs report. But the, uh, the ADP number, the private sector payroll, that was supposed to come out at 145,000. Well, they revised the prior month down a bit from 164 to 158. And the January number came out at 107,000. So well below the consensus, barely above the low end of the range, which went from 100,000 to 175,000. So we're getting a lot of weak economic data on top of all sorts of weak data. Again, the leading economic indicators have been negative for over 20 months. I mean, it's, it's, it's about to break the record that we set during the Great Recession of 2007-2008, uh, yet all Pal talked about was how good the economy is. Anyway, so one of the reporters asked them um, about a wage price spiral. And, you know, I hate this term. And I heard it a lot on television again today, you know, wage price spiral, as if the wage price spiral is what causes inflation. The wage price spiral, I think that coin might have been coined, you know, in, in, in the 30s or something like that, used. But nobody really knew about it until Richard Nixon. And they started talking about a wage price spiral. And the reason that Tricky Dick uh, and his administration was talking about inflation being caused by a wage price spiral was to deflect the blame for inflation from the government to the private sector. Because if inflation is caused by wages rising and then prices go up, because wages went up, and then wages go up because prices go up, and it's just a never-ending, self-perpetuating spiral. Hey, it's got nothing to do with the government, right? Well, we got nothing to do with that, right? It's all a just a self-perpetuating process that we're just, you know, observing from afar. And we got to, you know, can we do something about this horrible wage price spiral that's causing all this inflation? That's a myth. It doesn't cause inflation. First of all, wages are prices. That's all they are. They're just a specific price. Like rent is the price you pay, right? If you want to live in a house or you want office space, you have to pay rent. Rent is the price that you're paying to have access to uh, property. Well, wages, that's the price you pay when you want to buy labor. If I want to hire somebody, they have a price. What is your price? Well, I want $15 an hour. That's my price, right? So you call that a wage. It's just the name of a price. So if you understand that wages are prices, then you can't say, well, prices go up because prices go up, right? It's a price-price spiral. Rising prices cause rising prices. No, they don't. <laughs> what cause rising prices? Inflation. What's inflation? The expansion of the money supply. That's what's inflating. Prices don't inflate. They go up, they go down. Money supply inflates. Inflate means to expand. Who causes the expansion of the money supply? The government, the Federal Reserve. So all this talk about a wage price spiral just lets the government off the hook. Right? Every time these reporters talk about a wage price spiral, they're letting the Fed, they're letting the Biden administration off the hook for being responsible for causing inflation. In fact, when Powell talked right, about inflation, again, he used words like goods inflation and housing inflation. Why do they do that? Why do they try to assign inflation to a particular price? We've got food inflation, right? We, we, we've got goods inflation. We got oil inflation. None of these things are inflation. Again, this is all part of the government's propaganda effort to shift the blame 
for inflation onto the private sector. We have food inflation. Well, that's the farmers. The damn farmers are causing inflation, right? Oh, we have oil inflation. Well, it's the damn oil companies. It's Putin, right? If we have rent inflation, it's those greedy landlords, right? There is no such thing as rent inflation or goods inflation or services inflation or any kind of inflation other than inflation. There's just one kind of inflation, and it's the kind the government creates. The government expands the money supply, spends it into circulation. The government runs a deficit. The Fed monetizes the debt, quantitative easing, creates the money. The government spends it. The people who get the money spend the money, pushes up prices. All prices go up, right? Food prices, you know, energy prices, whatever. They may go up in different amounts, but it's the inflation that causes it. But whenever Powell starts talking about a price and tying it to inflation, it's again to pretend that somehow inflation came about, you know, completely uh, separate from the government's action. That the government's just here to fight inflation without acknowledging that the government has caused the inflation. So to the extent that it puts out the fire, it lit the fire in the first place, right? You don't get credit for putting out a fire that you lit, right? You get credit if there's a fire, you got nothing to do with it, and then you come in, okay, but taking credit for the putting out the fire that you lit? And of course, they haven't even put it out. They continue to pour gasoline on it as they're pretending they're, they're trying to fight it. Now, another thing that, that Powell claimed, again, when he talked about the strong economy, and he ignores, you know, the manufacturing recession. He ignores the fragility uh, in the banking sector, where basically got a completely insolvent uh, bank. No discussion at all, not one question about the deficits, about the size of the national debt, about the exploding interest costs, where now, and in fact, the last uh, government numbers that came out last week, I forgot to mention it. I think they were the part of the part of the uh, personal income and spending. But the government now acknowledged that on an annualized basis, it is paying over $1 trillion in interest on the national debt. How can that not come up? Because, you know, the longer Powell delays the rate cuts, the more government debt is going to mature and roll over. And by the way, the government is rolling over a record amount of debt in short-term T-bills because Janet Yellen is betting that the Fed cuts rates. So it's not selling 10-year treasuries, right? It's not borrowing by issuing 10-year treasuries at 4%. It's doing 90-day bills. At, at five and a quarter. So they're, they're paying more to keep the maturity short. But this is all creating a, 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 a more explosive ticking bomb because it's got a bigger payload because we keep shortening the maturity of the debt. We have more and more debt that has to be rolled over. So how can they not discuss this? That interest on the national debt is now a bigger line item than national defense, which should be the most important or the biggest expenditure. The only reason we have a federal government is for national defense. Pretty much everything else the government does is unconstitutional. But now interest on the debt is a bigger expense than the single purpose for which the federal government exists, which is to defend the country. We're spending more to pay interest on the debt. But it's not going to be long before interest on the debt is number one. And it's a bigger expense than either Social Security or Medicare. But none of this comes up in in this discussion. It's amazing. Nobody asks about it. Nobody talks about it. As far as they're concerned, everything is awesome. And so one of the things that Powell said is that we've got unemployment below 4%. And it's been below 4% for two years. And according to Powell, that hasn't happened for 50 years. And so the economy is really good, just based on that one statistic. Well, who cares? Because you have to ignore so many other statistics that say the economy is lousy to focus on this one statistic, which is meaningless. Because first of all, 
if we still measured the unemployment rate the way we measured it 50 years ago, it wouldn't be under 4%. It probably would be over 10% if we still measure. So it's irrelevant to compare the unemployment rate today to the unemployment rate 50 years ago. Well, we're not measuring them the same way. So many people that were counted as unemployed 50 years ago are not counted as unemployed now, even though they're unemployed. But it's cherry picking this data. Uh, the data that is highly manipulated and ignoring all the anecdotal evidence. I mean, look at all the, the layoffs. I mean, how many companies, you know, it was a big news story, UPS, right? It was just a few months ago, uh, UPS announced like these big uh, wage hikes. You know, the unions had really, you know, uh, pushed them and backed them into a corner and, and got UPS. The Teamsters uh, were able to get these huge um, pay raises. Uh, for their members. And I, I, I talked about it because it was just ridiculous how much some of these UPS drivers were going were gonna to earn. Well, this week, UPS came out and announced massive layoffs. I forget what percentage it was, maybe around 15% of the workforce is going to be laid off. So they're not going to get these rosy uh, compensation packages because they're going to get a pink slip. They're going to get fired. You know, we're now, is, is Biden going to, uh, you know, talk about that? Because they're not unrelated. In fact, UPS specifically cited high labor costs as the main reason for the layoffs. And, of course, this is all Econ 101, which, you know, in order to be an economist, you have to fail Econ 101. But it's supply and demand. If the price of something goes up, the demand goes down. And so UPS workers became a lot more expensive. And therefore, UPS didn't want to buy as many of those workers. It became too expensive. So they got priced out of their jobs. Now, this is not the end of the layoffs because these wage hikes are making the company less uh, uh, efficient, less competitive. They're going to ultimately raise prices. And that's going to eat into sales because people are going to have to you know, buy less of their products because it's more expensive and, and more layoffs are coming. I mean, this is why so many uh, formerly unionized companies went out of business. Their unions drove them out of business and ended up destroying all the jobs of their members. I mean, at once upon a time, we had this huge manufacturing sector. And one of the reasons that it's gone is because of the labor unions. That's why the labor unions moved into services, because they destroyed manufacturing. But the one place the labor unions are thriving is in government, because they can never destroy the government, unfortunately, because no matter how much money the government loses, they stay in business, because they have a captive audience. They can tax us, or in the, the, the federal government, they can print. But, you know, even FDR, big government uh, FDR, even he was opposed to public sector working workers unionizing. He didn't think that you should be able to be in a union if you work for the government. And I agree with him. Right? You can't do that. You, it should have to be a private sector. You, you can't unionize. If you take a job as a public servant, you can't then join a union and go on strike and claim you're a pro- public servant. And the big problem with these labor unions is then they negotiate with themselves because The labor unions help elect the politicians that they bargain with. And so they're they're not really having a a, a real negotiation because the politicians who are giving them raises owe them their jobs. And then the labor unions use those higher wages to help fund the campaigns of the people who rubber stamp their, 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 their pay raises. Meanwhile, the taxpayer who's on the hook for all this, he doesn't have a seat at the bargaining table. He's nowhere around. He's just a patsy that gets stuck with the bill. Anyway, but I, I, I went off on a tangent. I didn't really mean to get into uh, the labor unions. The point I was trying to make is that the economy isn't strong just because you got this BS uh, uh, 4% or sub 4% uh, unemployment rate. What's really uh, important when it comes to the labor market is that real wages are falling and that so many Americans are struggling that they've had to take second and third jobs. You have a record number of Americans who are working multiple full-time jobs 
right now. That's how bad the economy is. Right? The economy is so weak, the labor market is so weak that one paycheck isn't enough. People need two and three paychecks. So all of this stuff, you know, just gets ignored uh, by by Powell. It gets ignored uh, by 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 the worker, by the by the um, by the reporters. Nobody nobody talks about what's actually going on in the economy. So you've got Powell basically, you know, talking about how we got a great economy. Just that, you know, he wants more proof that inflation uh, is is gone. And he said that the last six months have been really good, right? And it doesn't need to get any better because one of the reporters asked him if um, if they if we needed better data. And he said, no, 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 we don't need better data. The data's been good. We just need it not to get bad. Just stay the way it is, right? If it stays the way it is, didn't really you know, say how much longer the data has to stay the way it is. But if it stays the way it is, uh, then for a long enough period of time so that the Fed could be convinced that inflation is going to stay down. But if the Fed was really looking at um, all of the elements that do cause inflation, he would know that what he's looking at is irrelevant. What happened over the past six months means nothing. Yes, the inflation rate has come down from nine close to three. But it ain't going to stay here. <laughs> the forward indicators, the most important indicators are what is going to happen to the money supply in the future? Well, the money supply in the future is going to explode. Now, even though Powell said that the Fed plans to continue quantitative tightening, you know, that was one thing. There were some people who were expecting that maybe Powell is going to give an indication that they're going to slow down the pace of their, you know, the asset sales. They didn't say that. He said, we're going to continue uh, to make uh, meaningful reduction in the balance sheet. But even though that's what the Fed is saying it's going to do, given what's happening in Washington and given what's happened at the banks, there is no way that that's going to happen. The deficits are exploding in an election year. Now, there was, uh, you know, uh, one question that related to the election, because I think one of the reporters pointed out that the Republicans who are running for office, of course, the only one that matters is Trump. (laughs) But they said that nobody wants to reappoint him. And, you know, does he want, you know, another term? And he didn't answer that question. But, you know, of course he wants another term. Uh, And he doesn't want Trump to win. Um, and, And so the Fed is going to be flooding the economy with money all over again between sometime between now and the election that is the pivot that is going to happen what the catalyst is going to be whether it's the weakness in the markets whether it's uh, a, a a bank crisis whether what we saw today was the beginning of the second leg of the crisis that started in in, in March of last year but the debt is exploding, and there's no way for the government to finance it. There's no way to service it. Yes, the dollar has not fallen you know, through the floor yet, but the word is yet. That's the operative word. It can cave in at any moment. Bond prices can tank at any moment. You know, I mentioned earlier that the price of gold held up, and it did. Gold closed today around 2,040. I think intraday high was around 2,055. But again, we're holding solidly above 2,000, even though the Fed pulled the rug out from under the March rate cut. It didn't affect gold. Yeah, it affected it, you know, traders like sold real quick. 
but it didn't really go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere near 2000. None of these, none of this matters to the price of gold. The price of gold is just waiting to explode higher. I don't know what, again, the catalyst is going to be, but one of these days, you're just going to see the price of gold take off. This is like a lull, you know, before a storm. And everybody is kind of complacent. But we are just so close to this crisis. I guess it's going to look very obvious to people in hindsight. But why can't it look obvious in, in, in foresight, right? Mainly it's because so many people just don't even get this. They have, they have no clue. Uh, what they, they just assume that, well, it's been going on for so long, what difference does it make? Who cares if the national debt is $34 trillion? Because it was $10 trillion and people were worried about it. And now it's $34 trillion and we haven't had a problem. We have had a problem. They just don't recognize it because the stock market's gone up. The bond market went up initially. So as long as these asset prices are going up and we can keep going deeper into debt, People don't think we have a problem. But an asset bubble is a problem. Having all this debt is a problem. Just because it hasn't blown up yet doesn't mean it's not a problem. Because blowing up is inevitable. That has to happen. The problem is that we've created this unsustainable situation that has to blow up. And the reality is, the longer it takes to blow up, the worse it is when it happens. That's why I know you have to stick in there uh, and hang tough. I know there are a lot of people who get frustrated. You know, know, we've been worried about this for so long. We've been hedging for so long. We've been protecting ourselves for so long. You know, maybe it's never going to happen. You know, yeah, I mean, the markets make it difficult for people to do the right thing. And they make it very easy to do the wrong thing. Because a lot of times the people who are doing the wrong thing are getting rewarded because so many other people are doing the wrong thing too. And so they see the price of stuff going up that they're buying. The people who are doing the right thing are in the minority. And so we're not moving the markets. But when everybody gets surprised, and and one of the things that, that Powell said today would surprise him, he said if inflation were to turn up, that would be a surprise. That's not what the Fed expects. The Fed fully expects inflation to go back down to 2%. Why should it? I mean, it makes no sense that it should just because it was at 2% before. I mean, Powell kept saying that monetary policy is very restrictive. Why is it restrictive? Rates are barely over 5%. I mean, what's so restrictive about that? I mean, yes, compared to where we were when we were at zero, but less loose isn't tight. It's just less loose. Monetary policy is not tight. It's still too easy, especially given the enormity of the debt. But it's not just monetary policy. You can't look at monetary policy in isolation. You've got to consider fiscal policy, which is something that Powell never does. He claims it's not in his lane, as if monetary policy uh, has nothing to do with fiscal policy when they go hand in glove. And if you've got stimulative fiscal policy, then you can't say we've got restrictive policy. No, you don't. Even if monetary policy were restrictive, which it isn't, fiscal policy is expansionary. In fact, one of the reasons that fiscal policy can be so expansionary is because the Fed isn't tight enough. Because if the Fed is still, if the U.S. government is still running these huge deficits and spending all this money, that means the Fed hasn't raised rates enough. Because if the Fed raised rates high enough, it would stop all this spending. The government couldn't do it. But the Fed is enabling the expansionary fiscal policy by not being tight enough. So what Powell should be doing, if he really cared about inflation, and he's tightening monetary policy, and then he looks over and he sees that it's having no impact on the federal budget. They just keep on spending like the Fed wasn't doing anything. They just keep on borrowing more and more money and increasing government spending. He would say, well, I'm not tight enough. I got got to hike more. I got to make an impact. You know, they keep talking about the economy. You know, we, we got to slow down the economy. The economy doesn't cause inflation. Again, that's another 
uh, false uh, claim to try to shift the blame for inflation on the market, on the people, by saying it's the economic growth that's causing inflation. The Fed has to push back on growth. And that's why a lot of people get mad at the Fed. Why? Why do you want to stop economic growth? Economic growth doesn't cause inflation. In fact, economic growth causes prices to go down. That's the beauty of economic growth. A growing economy increases the supply of goods and services. If you have more abundant goods and services, they cost less. If you have a weak economy that's producing less, that's when prices go up. But they try to say, well, you know, if you have a strong economy, people buy more stuff and they push up the price. That's BS, right? If they buy more stuff and they push up the price, it's because the government printed all the money. Because if they didn't print the money, prices wouldn't go up. In fact, prices would go down if productivity increased and we had a growing economy. But what the Fed is not supposed to be, instead of targeting, rather, the economy, which doesn't make any sense, they have to target government spending. It's the spending that's the problem. And yes, if you're talking about consumer spending, yes, that's part of the problem. You're not trying to stop the economy from growing. You're not trying to stop people from working. You're trying to stop the excess spending. So we want people to keep working. We just want them to save more of their income so that that savings can be invested in plant equipment to try to grow the economy. So we don't want to stop economic growth. We want economic growth. We want to stop spending, consumption. That's what needs to slow down. But the reason there's excess consumption is because there's excess money. There's excess credit. That's coming from the Fed policy. But the biggest offender, the biggest spender, the biggest borrower is the U.S. government. So if the Fed wants to reduce inflation, it has to reduce government borrowing and government spending. And it hasn't done either because government spending is at a record and government borrowing is at a record. So that's what should tell Powell that he's lost the inflation fight and that inflation is going to get worse. Forget about looking in the rearview mirror at what's happened in the CPI. Look through the windshield at these massive deficits and how much money is going to be printed to monetize them. And you know that inflation is going much, much higher. And if Powell was sincere right, about how much harm inflation does uh, for the lower class, the poor, the people who are struggling to get by, their burden is about to be much heavier because of all the inflation that Powell and the Fed are going to create because they don't have the balls to actually put an end to it. They don't have the balls to be independent and to force the government to make the necessary cuts to spending that would actually allow for lower future inflation. Yeah, we got away with it for a long time. Yes, we, we were able to pretend that inflation was below 2% because some government measure that was contrived and reverse engineered uh, to, to, to give a false reading. Yes, that came out below 2%, but that was temporary. That was transitory. Now we're in reality and inflation is gonna get much, much higher. Anyway, I wanted to uh, mention, before I finish the podcast, I am going to be speaking in Miami. I haven't been doing a lot of these uh, conferences, but I'm going to go to uh, the money show, which I I used to do these money shows all the time. I used to do three or four of them a year. I haven't done them in three or four years, but I'm going to go to the money show uh, in Miami uh, on April 10th. And I'll be down there. I'm doing a keynote, and then I'm doing a workshop. And we're going to have a a, a table there. And I think some of the reps from Your Pacific Asset Management are going to be there. So I would invite people that are in uh, the South Florida area to sign up. It's a free event. Uh, So you just got to register on the Money Show website. It's the Investment Masters Symposium. Uh, in in Miami. And of course, even if you don't live in Miami, it's not a bad place to visit. You can fly down. It's still probably bad weather up in the Northeast and the Midwest. You can fly down uh, to Miami and go to the uh, Investors Masters Symposium. Anyway, take advantage too of this dip that we got uh, from today's rally in the price of gold. As I said, I expect an explosive move uh, when gold starts to move 
uh, it, I think it's really going to be like a rocket ship because it's going to be like a watershed event. It's going to be a huge emperor has no clothes moment where just a wall of money is going to come rushing in at the same time because everybody finally gets it. Uh, but then there's nobody who wants to sell because all the people who got it are holding on. And now all the Johnny-come-latelys who have finally figured out what's going to happen and they're looking to buy gold, where are they going to get it? Because the people who own it don't want to sell it, and all the people who don't own it want to buy it. And, and so the price is going to go way up. So before that happens, you know, contact uh, Shift Gold and, and get some gold, uh, uh, get, some, get some silver. And again, the mining stocks, they got hit today. Uh, not as bad as the overall market. So, I mean, maybe they're washed out. I mean, if you look at the divergence again, I mean, a lot of these stocks are super cheap compared to where the price of gold is. Gold is just a couple of percent off its high. Gold's only about $100 off an all-time record high. And a lot of these stocks are near their 52-week lows, near multi-year lows. That's how negative the sentiment is. So, I mean, the Magnificent Seven, as far as I'm concerned, are seven gold stocks, right? But, you know, nobody owns those. So you want to own the next Magnificent Seven, the Magnificent Seven, you know, five or 10 years from now, because at some point that's going to happen, right? They're going to, everybody's going to be talking about gold stocks when the prices are many, many times higher than they are right now. Uh, but the time to buy them is before everybody uh, is talking about them and comes up with some kind of nickname uh, to describe them. So again, contact uh, Europe Pacific Asset Management, uh, europac.com, and talk about our gold strategies, or just, you know, buy the gold fund, the Euro Pacific gold fund, uh, read the prospectus. You can buy it no load. Uh, I think we've got a fantastic portfolio, especially some of these junior miners. That's the real sweet spot. If you could pick the right juniors, of course, if you pick the wrong ones, it's very problematic. That's why I hired Adrian Day. But I mean, they, they are giving these stocks away. So this is the time for the speculators. If you really want to, you know, the 10 bagger, the 20 bagger, you could take the risk. Uh, that's where I think the action is going to be. Uh, so I think we got a great portfolio in the Europe Pacific Gold Fund. So you can you can pick it up at any of the uh, the discount brokers or contact talk to the brokers at Europe Pacific uh, uh, Asset Management. Anyway, that's it for now. I'll be back on Friday, I think, uh, to go over uh, the the jobs report and what happens uh, in the market over the next couple of days. Meanwhile, you like this uh, video if you're watching on YouTube. Make sure and give it a give it a like or a thumbs up. Uh, leave me a comment and I will read them and I will reply to some of them. Bye for now.